Hey everyone, welcome. My name is Andrew Mook. Great to be with you. How good was Chandler Moore? Uh, if you have not listened to Maverick City, he's a part of the Maverick City Music Collective. I just encourage you to go and listen to them. Sanctuary Music, our music um, collective, has been singing a bunch of their songs over uh, the last couple months. I think we're singing another one next week. Uh, just such a gift to the larger church, um, to the art in this country. I just want to encourage you to um, download their stuff. Uh, we are hoping that we can get them to come and actually worship with us in person when all of this is over. Uh, if you're new with us, you've made it this long into the broadcast, welcome. We're so glad to have you. I'm going to take a moment and I'm going to open the scriptures and I'm just going to talk at you for a little bit. Uh, and we do this, as Jocelyn mentioned just a few minutes ago, we desire to be apprentices of Jesus. We believe that as we follow him, we become people full of faith and known by love. And we become a voice of hope for our city amongst all sorts of other good and beautiful things. Uh, and central to what it is to follow Jesus is this command that Jesus gives his apprentices um, in the Bible, which is come and follow me which really means come and copy the details of my life. I think too often we reduce following Jesus to his theological or his moral teachings, and we forget that there is this third bedrock below these two, which was his lifestyle. His moral vision came out of the way that he lived. Now, Jesus uh, has this line. He says, my way is narrow, which I grew up thinking meant something about hell. But first and foremost, I think it means that there is a very particular way that he is inviting people to live, that the broad way, the way of the world outside of the way of Jesus, in our current moment, this would be the way of secularism, um, the way of the West, um, basically kind of circles around this general idea of I want to do what feels best, what feels good, to go and do whatever I want. That would be the broad way. And in Jesus's mind, it does not lead to life. It leads to death. And so our culture constantly says, do whatever you want and take that faux freedom and, and apply that. And that's what's going to be the thing that will help you experience life. And then you look around and statistically, everybody is depressed and anxious and lonely and sexually dysfunctional and relationally dysfunctional and families are falling apart and racked by insecurity. The happiness um, stat, stats around happiness and joy have never been lower. Every year as wealth goes up and as rights go up, we see happiness go down and down and down. And so as a follower of Jesus, I would just say that I'd humbly submit to you, especially if you're new to all of this, that the road to life is not do whatever you want. The road to life uh, is a narrow way, and it's the way of Jesus. This is where the love and the beauty and the truth is. And I say all this because we need to think about following Jesus, not just through a theological or a moral lens, but as a way of life that we take on a way that we pattern our lives after Jesus. Now, this series that we're in, we're well into now, I think four weeks or so, uh, is meant to help us think about what sorts of patterns and what sorts of practices we need right now. So given the deep uncertainty that we are feeling about the future, we've just decided to call this series The Future Is. And so my talk today is simply called The Future Is slow. Just say that word, even if it's weird, wherever you are right now, just slow. 
Jesus was rarely in a rush. You never see him stressed out, snapping at people. You never see him like not making time for people. You can't find a story where Jesus is hurried. In fact, if anything, I find stories of him delaying multiple days because there's something happening or he's up early spending hours in prayer, spending weeks in the desert, taking a nap at Peter's mother-in-law's house. My favorite is when he is asleep in the front of a boat while there's a storm and his disciples are freaking out. So many stories where Jesus refuses to be sucked in to hurry. Hurry. Hurry is the great enemy of our life with Jesus. I think it's the issue underneath so many other issues. If I asked you right now, or if you're with people at your home church, maybe you can even pause for a moment like, and ask, what do you think the great problems in our world are? My guess is that hurry wouldn't immediately make your list or at least rise to the top. Now, David Foster Wallace, those of you familiar with him, he has, this, he has this very famous commencement speech, and he tells the story of two young fish swimming along, and they happen to meet an older fish swimming the other way. The two young fish swim on for a bit, uh, and or sorry, as they, as they come together, the, the, uh, the older fish says, morning boys, how's the water? The two young fish swim on for a bit, and then eventually one of them looks over at the other and goes, what the hell is water? In other words, the most obvious or ubiquitous or important realities are often the ones that are hardest to see and the hardest to talk about. Hurry is one of them. It's everywhere. It's the water we're swimming in. So why take the time to talk about this today? Like, because your life is made up of a series of moments, moments that are stacked and stacked and stacked and stacked, and you have a limited amount of them. On a long enough timeline, the amount of moments you have left drop to zero. So how are you doing with them? Are you missing them? Are you awake to them? if you um, live this sort of life that I am constantly pulled into is you run from appointment to appointment and you maybe work brutal hours or maybe you sleep far too little or you find yourself chronically stressed or exhausted. And as a consequence of all that, right? Nothing in your life suffers at all. <laughs> no, everything suffers. Your moments suffer. Are you so busy and stressed and hurried that you're in some way asleep? Harper, uh, my daughter who's in first grade, uh, she shares my supernatural gift of being able to sleep almost everywhere. And we are deep sleepers. I mean, Oh, deep sleepers. So we come home one night. <clears throat> I don't remember where we were coming back from. We get in past the girls' bedtime. All three of my girls um, are asleep. Rowan, who is a very light sleeper, immediately wakes up as we pull into the driveway. Keller, who's the baby, like she, she, does, she does all right. And of course, we already know this, Harper's been asleep the whole ride home. So I get everybody out of the car, and we always leave Harper last, and I come back down, and I go to get Harper out, and I open the door, and I say, Harper, come on out. Nothing. 
not that abnormal. I lean in. Now she's, by the way, in the th in the uh, third row of the car. So I've to get to her, I've got to climb in, climb over a seat to even get to her. If I was going to try to carry her out, and she's too big now to even put her on my shoulder in the car and carry her out that way. So I yell again, Harper, Harper. I bang the door, bang as loud as I can, like whap, Harper, Harper, raising my voice. Finally, I reach around. I can just reach her knee. And I start to like, like just kind of smack her knee a little bit, right? Because no one's interested in some child abuse. And so I like hit and I hit and I hit her. And now I'm like, I think I'm actually going to need to pinch her. And so in the most loving fatherly way of like, I could do this, if there's such a thing, I just lay into a pinch for the ages on her leg. And then she wakes up and startled, it wakes and then falls right back to sleep. It was absolutely incredible. I couldn't have been more simultaneously annoyed and proud of my daughter. She can sleep just like her dad. Anyway, after a bit more rummaging and yelling, she finally gets back up. I needed to try everything to the point of hurting her to get her up. Hurry. Hurry can place us in a sort of coma. It can rob us of a conscious awareness of the life and love that we were meant to live and, and the spirit of God. It can rob us of an awareness of these things. And if that's the case, if in any way we find ourselves asleep, then we need to do everything possible to wake up from it. Or maybe you could say another way. We sometimes talk about our temptation to walk away from Jesus if you've been around church, I heard people say this all the time. I, I've just been walking away from Jesus lately. But I don't know if I've ever heard someone talk about walking in front of him, moving faster than Jesus. Man, I've really just been out in front of Jesus lately. It makes me think of my wife and her family. Like they are all incredibly fast walkers. Like everything feels like a race. No matter where we're going, we take like a family vacation with them. And we're like just walking from one side of the pool to the other. And it is like a sprint. And what happens all the time is they're not paying attention and they look back and realize that maybe I'm back with one of my little girls and they're not walking with me anymore. They're not actually with me anymore. They're way out in front without even realizing it. I think it's the same with Jesus. We need to match the pace of Jesus. We need to pattern our life after him. And so I want to just pose to you like this idea that we need to see hurry as a legitimate threat, a threat to everything from kindness, a threat to parenting, a threat to your calling, a threat to your emotional health. It's a threat to your future. And so I want to take a few minutes to talk about how hurry is a threat to these three conditions of the heart that undergird everything else. These three conditions of the heart are love, peace, and joy. Love, peace, and joy. This trifecta comes up over and over again, especially in the book of John and in the writings of Paul. Because um, this is what we're after, right? Like love, peace, and joy. Even if you're here and you're unsure about how you feel about the way of Jesus, these are good things to seek after. So first off, we tend to think of love, joy, and peace as just emotions, but they're more than that. They are the fruit of a God-centered life. Love, peace, joy are what arise when your heart is settled. I think it's Dallas Willard who says, uh, they are uh, love, peace, and joy. They are the settled condition of the heart. 
the heart in biblical literature is imagined in these three different parts. So this is just how they understood like what the heart was when they would talk about it in prayers and in literature and in dialogue. It was your thinking. Your heart was your, your, it's your thinking, it's your feeling, and it's your will. What you think about, what you're feeling, and what you want or what you desire most. This is the center, like most core of what makes you, you. So stay with me here. Love and joy and peace are not just emotions that come and go. They are more than that. They are the overall condition of what we think and how we feel and what we want. They're critical and they are incompatible with a life of hurry. So let's look at these real quickly. Love. You can't be a loving person and a hurried person. All of my worst moments are always when I'm in a hurry. My wife is not here right now, but I like to imagine like saying that phrase and her being in the pew and just beginning to laugh, like hearing her snicker in the back because she knows it's so true. When I am in a rush, when I am in a hurry, it is the hardest place for me to muster anything that resembles patience or kindness or self-control, which is what we're told love is. Love takes time. People take time. This is especially true right in church. People take time. That person who disrupts your home church, that person who makes it really difficult to keep coming back and having that discussion, this person who's got some brokenness, this person who's got some issues, this person who talks too much. Love is hard. People are actually hard. The idea of love is easy. There's this old cheesy line that's, uh, that's uh, I think it was from the 90s or something. It was, love is spelled T-I-M-E. The best expression of love, right, is to be present and attentive to someone, to delight in them. And to delight in someone takes time. Two, joy. Uh, mindfulness is finally catching on to what Christians, like the mindfulness movement, finally catching on to what Christians and Hebrews have been saying for centuries, that it's the very, very public secret to happiness, which is that to increase in joy and happiness is just to be present in each and every moment, just being present, even if the moments are hard ones. People who don't miss the goodness of God each and every moment are simply more joyful. Three, peace. Peace, I mean, this is probably glaringly obviously, but obvious, but you can't be hurried and be at peace. No one is hurrying through life and feeling at rest. I see this on Sundays all the time. I'm sure this is true even in the era of sanctuary online and the broadcast. You're rushing around, rushing around, trying to cram everything in just to like be able to sit down or get to church. Um, Your kids are doing X, Y, and Z, and you're just trying to respond to that one email or post something on social media. And you finally sit down and then you just like, you finally arrive and you're like, okay, I just want God to like drop like a peace bomb on me. Like just, just, I just, all right, God, give it to me. Now, don't get me wrong. He can and does do that in his grace. 
being in his presence for a moment can produce incredible peace. But there's a deeper peace that comes from walking the way of Jesus, where we cultivate a way of life that is by nature peaceful. So if you desire to grow in love and joy and peace, we have to be people who slow down. I cannot live at the pace of America and live under the rule of love and joy and peace. I cannot live in his kingdom. I cannot live his way. I cannot walk the narrow road. This whole thing is not of his world. John Ortberg famously said, I cannot live in the kingdom um, the kingdom of God. I cannot live in the kingdom of God with a hurried soul. True love and true joy and true peace will be cultivated in us when we respond with our lifestyle to Jesus's words. Not just respond in agreement, but when we respond with our lifestyle, when Jesus says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, all who are weighed down, one translation says, and I will give you rest. Jesus offers the simple practice of rest. He offers us freedom from hurry. Now, I want to show you one more thing related to this. Uh, turn with me to Matthew 14, 23. Actually, I'm going to give you a whole bunch of passages. Matthew 14, Luke 5, Mark 1. You'll see them all pop up on the screen. Um, so we, you have, we see a pattern in all of these passages. After Jesus had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. And when evening came, he was there alone. In Luke 5, 15 to 16, the report went abroad concerning him and great multitudes gathered to hear and to be healed of their infirmities. But he withdrew into the wilderness and prayed. In Mark 1, we read that at sundown, they, and that's the disciples, brought to him all who were sick or possessed with demons, and the whole city was gathered together about the door. And in the morning, a great while before the day, he rose and went out to a lonely place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him pursued him. This pattern we see in Jesus in just these like few verses. Jesus is sending people away. He's disappearing without warning before things are done. He's dismissing in some way those in need without an excuse or an explanation. And he's retreating to a place of rest. Sometimes he would take the disciples with him and say, come away to a deserted place all by yourselves and rest for a while. Here's why I say this. He did not wait until they had completed all their work. Can I get an amen from someone who just can't stop? I see you. I love you. And stop. He invited them in the middle of all their busyness. He would say, come with me. He'd say, let us go. He would say, let us pray. He would say, let us rest. The future with all of its uncertainty Right? That's what, it's always been uncertain. But this moment, I think we've said this every week, has just highlighted, bold, underlined, italicized just how uncertain it is. And so the future, the future is slow. The future is slow. One more thing. If we are learning and relearning and learning again, 
If we're learning anything from this cultural moment, it's that we need to be ready to be interrupted. If you're taking notes, just write the word interrupted. And this is, has so much to do with slowing and so much to do with matching the pace of Jesus. Has so much to do with ridding our lives of a culture of hurry. Most of the teachings that we read about in the life of Jesus, most of the profound words that sit in this book don't come from planned teachings. They don't come from like Ted Jerusalem, like, or a planned church service. They don't. Like they were almost all interruptions. Jesus was interrupted this one time when he was teaching uh, inside of a house. Suddenly the ceiling was falling in. Four men are lowered down uh, in the middle of Jesus's lecture. We don't even know what Jesus was teaching about that day, but we do know that the good news of like forgiveness and healing and life like went forward. The lame man who was dropped down was healed. It was this powerful moment all around an interruption. Jesus was interrupted when he was alone praying. Uh, he needed to grieve. He wanted to be alone after he'd found out that his uh, good friend, John the Baptist, had died. And so uh, he, he would try to slip away from the crowd regularly. And, and these were the sorts of things that he would do. And he finds himself, when he finds himself interrupted in these moments, we see acts of healing and love and restoration. This one time he gets into a boat um, uh, to get away from the crowd, he'd come ashore, and then there would be more people waiting for him. These were not small gatherings. Thousands of people were interrupting Jesus. He was interrupted as he traveled. Blind Bartimaeus found Jesus on the road to Jericho, and Jesus worked one of the miracles that increasingly distinguished his ministry and showed people that God's ear turns towards the poor and the needy and not away from them. Jesus was interrupted when he was sleeping. He was in a boat with the disciples. Like I mentioned before, they interrupted that sleep because they were afraid. Jesus uses, this, Jesus uses this moment to teach them about fear and about faith and about perspective. He's interrupted when he's eating. He was dining at the Pharisee's house, the religious elite at this wealthy home. And this prostitute barges through the door past the gatekeepers to get to Jesus. And in that moment, he knows what she needs. He knows what she needs and tells her that her sins are forgiven. He uses that moment to give all this insight into the love and generosity and welcome of God. Jesus was so often interrupted that even his interruptions were interrupted. Once Jesus got out of a boat, was interrupted by a crowd by a rich man named Jairus who was able to get to him somehow. He asked Jesus to come to heal his daughter. Jesus agrees to this detour and begins to go with Jairus. But as the crowd began to move, Jesus notices that someone touched him who had some sort of serious need. So he's awake and aware and willing to be interrupted again from his interruption. Jesus asked who touched him. And we find out that this woman who's been bleeding for years, this is a woman who very likely was ostracized for most of those years. Jesus sees her faith and he heals her. The interruption of the interruption was used to show God's care for everyone, regardless of their station and position in society. Jesus was moving at a pace where he could see the interruptions for what they were. His pace made room to see and respond to interruptions. It dawned on me if the Bible did not include these interruptions as part of Jesus's ministry, these recordings, we actually wouldn't have a whole lot to talk about. Wouldn't have much left. C.S. Lewis uh, famously wrote, 
The great thing, if one can, is to stop regarding all the unpleasant things as interruptions of one's own or real life. The truth is, of course, that what one calls the interruptions are precisely one's real life. The life God is sending one day by day, or you could say one moment by moment, what one calls one's real life is a phantom of one's own imagination. Bam. These moments, those stacked moments that make up your life, most of them are interruptions. To match the pace of Jesus, to walk not in front of him but with him, means I need to see the interruptions that come into my life and into my week and into my morning not as interruptions, but as ministry and life and opportunities that they are. I was literally trying to finish up this sermon, the one I'm sharing with you now, as my, younger, my youngest daughter was yelling and clamoring for food or attention or comfort. I have no idea half the time what she's crying about. And as I finally just gave up and stopped writing, I picked her up and had this profound moment of like this right here, like spending this time with her right there in that moment was actually what I needed to bring my attention to. It was a moment of profound, simple, short, but just like prayer for her and awake and aware to her need. And I don't know, the the pastor in me, the, the Jesus follower in me just, went wild with imagining like why God needed to pull my attention to her in this moment and what it was for my soul, not just in making sure my daughter was fed. My hurried week this past week brought me to a place of not having enough time to write a proper ending to this talk. And then I thought, maybe this is actually the ending to my talk. My guess is that you largely agree with all of this. And I assume that your hurried life, you've found a way to manage it. You've gotten used to it. You don't even realize you're swimming in it. But you are. Maybe you're managing it better than somebody else. Maybe you've been with us for a while and things we talked about last summer about Sabbath and rest, you've really adopted and you're, you're, you're better than you've been and amazing. You're following Jesus closer than ever and experiencing his love and grace and freedom in these ways. We can get healthier. We can become more awake. We can match the pace of Jesus. As we head into this uncertain future, we are going to need to more than ever. Jesus was a master of mindfulness and wellness long before it was a buzzword. He knew how to take time for himself, to prioritize meaningful connections and limit what he consumed did this by learning. We can do this by learning from his daily habits and discover how to live more at peace with richer love and joy in our lives. So that's what we're going to do this week in our home churches. If you're not in one, uh, think about joining that emotionally healthy learning community that um, Corey and I are going to lead. Um, We're going to post a list of practices this week that are just going to hopefully help you. You can use them to put together a rule of life. If you don't know what that is, like stay on for a few minutes after we take communion and we're going to share some thoughts with you uh, there. Look, most, um, 
most of us value. Most of us, I think, would say without a doubt that we would want, we'd have a high value on our hearts being settled in love and peace and joy. We want our lives um, to be able to receive interruption. A Jesus Christ-centered peace comes to us when our schedules are aligned with our values. Is your schedule, is your life aligned with these values? And if not, if not, it can get better. Hear these words again from Jesus. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Lord Jesus, I ask now that um, if you haven't already begun, Lord, that you would do the work of uh, <laughs> like reaching into that back seat and doing whatever is necessary to wake us up. to help slow us down, to help us get off that, out of that cycle, off that treadmill of just hurry and hurry and hurry and become awake and aware of the moments that are making up our lives. I pray all this in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Come join us now as we close our broadcast for communion.